Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. My name is Ellis White. I'm a pastoral intern here at the church. And how many, how many of you guys came last weekend to, to one of our three services? How many, how many of you? That what, what a powerful weekend that was. Pastor Bill preached a message all about how we, we believe God continues to heal today. And we had our elders up front praying for healing for people. I want to, how, how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you walked away from last week feeling like you had a testimony of God's healing power? in your life as a result. Look, look around at those hands. Raise them up high. Okay, isn't God good? Look, look what he did in the life of our church last weekend. I'm so thankful for uh, Pastor Bill's boldness in uh, just saying, we're going to do this. And um, God does this today, and we're, we're going to seek after that. And the stories that, that we've heard this week have been incredible. So if you see someone around you with a hand up, then, then go speak to them afterwards. Ask them, what, what did God do? in your life. And if you have a story to tell, share that. Share that with people who maybe don't know Jesus. Tell them what he's done in your life and, and, and the way that he has transformed you. So, so thankful for the way God was at work last weekend. This week, Rachel, my wife, and I hit a significant milestone in our time here at Chapel Hill. Five years ago this week, we got on a plane, packed up our bags, and moved here. And without the help of this congregation, I can tell you we would not have made it to today. So this morning, I want to say thank you to every single one of you who has housed us, who has fed us, who has clothed us, who has prayed for us, who has listened to us, who has loved us. Thank you all so much. And I need your help again this morning. What I'm going to share with you today is regarding a very tender topic for many people, and it is a tender topic for me at this time. What I'm going to share is, is going to be hard for me to speak out, and it's going to be a little raw. And so I need your help. I need your prayers this morning as I share this word as part of our fearless question series. So that's my prayer this morning, that we would fearlessly attack and address this topic that we're going to talk about. So let's, let's pray and ask, ask God to, to be with us. God, I pray that this morning you would speak to us, that this would be your word spoken to us this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to fearlessly tackle this topic of evil and suffering. And God, this morning I I pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high in this place, that the goodness of who you are would be declared. And God, I pray that you may do a work this morning changing us, transforming us, making us more into the people that you long for us to be. God, would you bring your your comfort in this place this morning? Would your presence be here? God, would you give me your words to speak? Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. On July 14th, a man driving a 19-ton cargo truck deliberately drove into crowds celebrating Bastille Day, on the Promenade des Anglais in Nice, France. 84 people were killed and 303 injured. The next morning, still reeling from the terror of it all, I saw this image. I felt sick. The doll looked identical to one of my daughters. 
that little girl lying there could have been my precious Evelyn. And indeed, it was someone's precious little girl. How can a good God allow this to happen? It's not like I don't believe God was powerful enough to have stopped it. God could have done any number of things to result in a different outcome. But he didn't. Why? In our Fearless Q series, no question received more votes than the one that we tackled this morning. How can a good God allow evil and suffering? And I understand why it generated the most questions. Not only is it intellectually very difficult to answer, but emotionally, personally, experientially, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is hard stuff. You know, maybe if the suffering that we saw, the suffering we experienced was minor, we could understand it. I mean, even good parents discipline their children. But what good parent lets their little girl get run over by a 19-ton truck? Stendhal, a 19th century French writer, put it this way. God's only excuse is that he does not exist. And strictly on the basis of logic, this makes some sense. If God didn't exist, then it would simply be survival of the fittest. Dog eat dog, kill or be killed. As Richard Dawkins says about suffering from an atheistic perspective, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Suffering is inevitable, Dawkins says. And it has no meaning whatsoever, just like the universe. But this response to the problem of evil and suffering, the response of atheism, does not satisfy the young mother cradling her dead child in her arms. Why? Because we crave meaning in our lives. Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish psychologist who survived Auschwitz, where he saw many atheists commit suicide, he understood what happened there this way. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. When we have meaning in our life, we can cope with suffering. But without meaning, it is almost impossible. Even if atheism can logically make sense of suffering, it cannot provide the meaning necessary to keep us going in the midst of suffering. Christianity, on the other hand, 
I believe can provide that meaning. So how then do we maintain a belief in a good God in the midst of such horrendous evil and suffering? The reality is that there is no single straightforward answer. But I want to suggest an approach. In a court of law, the testimony of one witness may not hold much weight, but the testimony of several corresponding witnesses can. In this way, I believe we have several corresponding witnesses that provide sufficient evidence for us to believe in a good God. This approach is taken by Vince Vitale and Rabbi Zacharias in Why Suffering, a book that I highly recommend if this is an issue that you personally struggle with. And today I want to present five witnesses to you. And I'm going to do so through my own personal story. Five months ago, my 59-year-old father, John White, went for a walk with a colleague. On arriving back at the car, he slumped in his seat, took several heavy breaths, and passed away. It was a total shock to all of us. The autopsy revealed that he was suffering with coronary artery disease. My dad did not take care of himself. He ate what he wanted, exercised rarely. Recently, I found a three-year-old letter to him from his doctor. In it were test results indicating a 13% risk in a heart disease-related event in the next 10 years. To say that I was angry when I saw that letter is an understatement. I literally said, he killed himself. The first witness I want to bring this morning is the witness of freedom. God created people who have the freedom to choose right from wrong, good from evil. At the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve were given a choice. This is what Genesis 2 says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. This is God speaking. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave Adam and Eve freedom. They could eat any tree except one. With the consequence of death. And what did they do? They chose the one. Now, God could have chosen to limit their freedom and prevent them from eating of that tree, but he didn't. Why? Because he loved them enough to give them the choice. We must begin by recognizing that the root cause of evil and suffering in this world is human freedom. And this is the freedom that God gave us in love. The opposite would have been slavery. Slavery to God's choices. And God loves us too much to create us as slaves. He created humanity as a free people. My dad had the freedom to choose. Given to him by God out of love. 
and he might have chosen poorly, but God loved him too much to force him into submission. Freedom is our first witness. As time passed, my anger towards my father continued. I began to ascribe complete guilt to him in his death. Took a long talk with my friend Vince to pull me out of this. As we talked, I continued to blame my father for his death, and Vince asked me, Ellis, do you believe God could have kept your dad alive? Yes, I responded almost immediately. But then I thought, well, why didn't he? The second witness I want to bring is the witness of humility. If God is good, he must have good reasons for allowing suffering. And it's natural for us to want to know them. I wanted to know why he let my dad die. And God has his reasons. But for us to assume that we can know them is not necessarily the case. I remember when we got our puppy, Rally. And we had to take him to get him fixed. I sat him down in the morning. I let him know what was going to be coming later on that day. I commiserated with him about how he was going to lose a part of himself. But I told him it's going to be for the best. Okay, this way, there will be less frustration. You will be more fulfilled. (laughs) The pain may be strong, but it is only temporary. And you will pull through. Sadly, he didn't understand any of it. (laughs) And he was left wearing the cone of shame. It's the same thing with God. Just as there is a gulf between humans and dogs in their ability to reason, there is a gulf between humanity and God in our ability to reason. Isaiah writes this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's reasons are often beyond our understanding. And to think that we could know them is at best presumptuous and at worst arrogant. We must be humble when it comes to our understanding of this issue and recognize that we are not God and He is. I may never fully know why God let my dad die when he did. Not because God doesn't want me to know, necessarily, but because I just don't have the understanding to comprehend it. This is the witness of humility. Now, although we can never fully know why God allows suffering, there are a couple of New Testament passages that help us understand an important reason why God does allow it. However, they present it in a strange way. 
Paul writes this, we rejoice in our sufferings. James writes, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Joy. Seriously. We are called to rejoice, to consider it pure joy when we suffer. Why is that? Well, both writers go on to explain why. They use the same word. It's often translated in different ways in the two passages. But the word is the word for endurance. Suffering produces endurance. And Paul goes on to say that endurance produces character. James says endurance perfects us or matures us. The same word that we find in Chapel Hill's mission statement. Working together to present everyone mature in Christ. Suffering produces endurance, which makes us mature in Christ. This is the third witness. And I'm going to call it the witness of grace. Because I believe suffering is a grace. It is a gift. Because it makes us into the people God longs for us to be. In Christ, suffering matures us. The last few months have pushed me to the end of myself. I've struggled to get up in the mornings. I've been unable to concentrate at work. I've been ill more times than I can remember. And I would be lying if I said there weren't times when I thought I'd rather be with the Lord than here on earth. But yet in the midst of this, I know that God is not done with me. I know God is at work, changing me, shaping me, maturing me into the person that he longs for me to be. And he is doing that through, in the midst of, my suffering and my pain. He has work yet to do, and my job is to trust him to do it. And so I continue to get out of bed in the mornings. I continue to endure. And I continue to trust that somehow, in the midst of the pain, God is at work. God does not waste our sufferings. God does not waste our pain. He is working all things together for good. As Paul writes, And no matter what you have been through, no matter what you are going through, God is going to use it to make you into the person that he is destined for you to be. Suffering is a grace. We are not the people that God longs for us to be. But suffering is perfecting us. It is maturing us. It is making us complete. And this can pull us through. This can give us purpose in the pain. That's our third witness, the witness of grace. One of my biggest struggles regarding the loss of my dad was the thought of my kids never knowing their grandfather. It hurts so badly to think of my dear Ezra, born on, his, on my father's birthday, never coming to know the man his grandfather was. I shared this with my friend Vince, and this is what he said to me. Ellis, 
We know your dad is with Jesus because he trusted his life to him. And we hope and we pray that one day, Evelyn and Ezra will be with Jesus too. And when that day comes, when you're all together, you'll look back on this time like it was a missed lunch. A missed lunch. Those words will stick with me forever. The fourth witness is the witness of eternity. We so often live as if this life is the only one we will get, but it is not. And death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. The book of Revelation paints a picture of eternal life with Jesus for those who trust him. This is what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I remember watching my wife, Rachel, give birth to our daughter, Evelyn. I know that for many of you older men in the room, you were not allowed into the birthing suite. So for those of you who have never experienced this, let me let you in on a little secret. It's ugly. There was blood. There was screaming. Shouting. And that was just me. I want you to imagine for a moment, okay? Let me, let me do a thought experiment. Imagine you were an alien who had no experience of humanity, and you came across a videotape of the birthing suite. This is the only thing you knew of humanity, and you watched it. What would you think of humans? You would think we were grotesque, hideous, monstrous creatures. And that's just the doctors. But in the light of the rest of Evelyn's life, that moment of pain and agony appears as nothing. Or at least that was what Rachel said when we were considering having a second child. (laughs) Paul writes in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In light of eternity, our present suffering will pale into insignificance. In light of eternity, my dad's unexpected death is just a short interlude. And although it is very painful right now, and I don't want to minimize that pain, a day will come when all pain will cease. This is the witness of eternity. And it leads us to our final witness this morning. Freedom, humility, grace, eternity, and finally, the witness of the cross. It is only through the cross that we can experience eternity with Jesus. But there is another aspect of the cross that is highly significant when it comes to suffering. For all that I said earlier about my dad not taking care of himself, there was one summer when I recall him doing something different. I was 14 years old and preparing for the upcoming rugby season. 
I started a new training regime, and I wanted to measure my level of fitness at the beginning of the summer and again at the end. So I borrowed something called a cassette tape. For those of you who don't know what that is, ask your parents. And on this cassette tape was a recording of something called a beep test. If you don't know what a beep test is, it is otherwise known as hell on earth. Two cones are placed 20 meters apart. That's about 22 yards for those of you still in the colonies. And you run back and forth between these two cones in time to the beeps on the cassette tape. And you must arrive at each cone in time with the beep. And these beeps get progressively closer and closer and closer and closer together. It literally pushes you as far as you can go physically. Legend has it that some people have actually completed this test. But for the rest of us, you carry it out until you miss three beeps or you fall on the floor in pain and agony. For whatever reason, this summer my dad decided he would like to join me in this masochistic form of torture. So he donned his incredibly short running shorts, (laughs) probably bought sometime in the 70s, and came out to play. What ensued was nine minutes of pure pain for him. The agony on his face was like nothing I had ever seen before. But here's the thing. My dad had no reason whatsoever to take that test. None. He knew it was going to be agony. But nevertheless, he chose not to look on as I suffered, but to suffer alongside me. And when it comes to suffering, we do not have a God who stands far off and lets us experience suffering while he remains untouched by it. The heart of Christianity, the center of the Christian faith, is that we have a God who came to earth in the form of a man and suffered alongside us. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to in order to redeem us. This is our final witness, the witness of the cross. In the garden, the night before the cross, Jesus expressed his pain this way. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus knew the suffering that was coming, and it was overwhelming to him. He says, the sorrow is killing me. If you've ever felt like your pain, the pain you're experiencing, has taken you to the very point of death itself, I want you to know you are not alone. Our God has been there before you. He knows your pain. And on the cross itself was heaped upon Jesus all of the evil that the world has ever known. And he experienced the consequence of our evil and our suffering throughout history. And our God willingly took that upon himself. We do not have a God who remained far off while we suffered, but we have a God who came and suffered alongside us, 
who knows our pain. When it comes to my own pain, I don't have it all figured out. I haven't solved it all. I still wake up not knowing how bad the pain is going to be today. But here's what I do know. The same God that suffered on that cross is standing right beside me and right beside you in the midst of our pain and our suffering. He is weeping with us as we weep. He is comforting us in all our affliction. And in the midst of our pain, there is only one place we can turn to find true comfort. And that is the cross. It is at the cross that we see the love of God on display for us. It is at the cross that we see the decisive victory of God over the powers of evil. And it is at the cross that we encounter the presence of God himself, suffering right alongside us. Today, I want us to take a moment at the cross. The place where our God suffered. The place where evil was defeated. And the place where we encounter God's comforting presence. And my prayer is that we may find comfort at the cross. In the midst of our pain. And in the midst of our suffering. Let's pray. God, we come now to the cross. The place where you suffered. And at the cross, God, we bring you our pain. We bring you our suffering. And we ask that you would take it from us. We know Jesus bore that pain upon himself. And God, now we choose to believe that he has borne that pain for us. And God, we ask that you would bring your presence to us today. That you would pour out your spirit upon us. That we may know the presence of the comforter. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. God, we long, we long for your comfort. Help us look not to the things of this world, but help us look to you, look to the cross to find the comfort that we need. And God, we ask that by your Spirit, you may transform us that you may change us, that in the midst of our suffering, you may mature us to look more and more like the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that you would be shaping this church to become the church that you long for it to be. A church that stands in the midst of the evil of this world and declares that Jesus has won the decisive victory. A church that ministers the comfort that she has received from God, ministers that comfort to the world, that ministers that comfort to one another. God, would you make us that church this morning? And would you send us from this place 
in the power of your Spirit, the Comforter, and in the name of your Son, the one who suffered alongside us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.